Well, good morning. I'm, uh, my name is Phil Herndon. I'm uh, one of the elders here at the church. Grateful to serve with our other guys on the elder team. And we're taking a two-week uh, respite, I guess you would say, from our 13-year walk through Luke so far. <laughs> it's been really great. It's God's Word for sure, but that's a longer book than we thought before we started. But we're going to take a little, uh, little hiatus, a little... Um, respite this morning from that this morning and and uh, next week as well so we're going to be looking at another gospel a gospel of john this morning and when i was in graduate school part of the training and counseling was that uh thing called supervision and this is way back when the earth's crust began to cool we used vhs tapes you remember those and <laughs> and so we would video with with permission of course and the person being helped we video the sessions and the camera was only on on me on the counselor and so I did one of those sessions as a student, and I thought, you know, this is probably that one session that kind of ends them all. This is just incredible work. Like, I'm probably going to be in the Sigmund Christian Freud archives of my school, and this is going to be the greatest session ever in history. Like, I've really helped this person. This person was really in a ton of chaos and just terrible things going on, and so I proudly put the video in in front of my supervisor and watched it, watched a section of it, and she said, well, Phil, what do you think? I said, well, Dr. Elder, I humbly think that's probably one of the best sessions ever in the world. That was incredible. I, not quite that way, but I said, I, I, I think that went pretty well. She said, well, that was terrible. <laughs> I said, oh, oh, forget the archives. And I, what, what do you mean? She said, that person was in 12 kinds of chaos, and all you did was join her in the chaos. said, <laughs> you... That was that you, you, what you did was you left the basics. And Phil, when people are in chaos and upheaval, they need the basics. They need to know that they're safe, they're taken care of, they can be grounded, and all those. And she said other things not quite as nice as that uh, in that time. But I learned a real valuable lesson. That was almost 30 years ago. I learned a very valuable lesson that when we are in chaos, it's very, very important that we remember some basic things that are true. Uh, so we're going to do that this morning in, in the book of John. So before we turn there, some introductory stuff for you. The, the, one of the things that we face in our world, and if you've watched the news, you're probably aware it's, we're in a bit of chaos uh, these days. And one of the normal responses of this kind of chaos is a thing called fear. And we feel fear about what we're living in, what's going on, a pandemic and social upheaval and all those things. And one of the things we know in our humanness that we need in times of chaos, is a thing called refuge. We need to cry out as the body of Christ, refuge with one another, refuge uh, with God. And one of the most endearing pictures in all the scriptures uh, about our need for refuge is when it presents God as the shepherd of Israel. And then that comes over to the New Testament. Jesus describes himself several times as our shepherd that we are the sheep with. So the Probably the most comforting verse in all the scriptures is Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And he talks about how even the worst thing to happen to us, a thing called death, we're safe in that because he's going to walk us through that valley of the shadow of death. And I just jotted down four, four places in the New Testament where Jesus brings that idea of the shepherd of Israel across to Jesus being our shepherd. Uh, the, the, the borough video showed it uh, today, Matthew 9, Jesus had pity on the people because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And that word pity is the word compassion. It means he was moved in his guts. He had a visceral reaction to watching all these sheep wander around with no shepherd. And Matthew 18, the shepherd risked his life to go get that one sheep that's wandering. And 
In Mark 14, Jesus quotes the Old Testament and says, When the shepherd is smitten, when the shepherd is struck, then the sheep will scatter, describing himself as the shepherd and, and the disciples and us by extension as uh, the sheep. And then maybe the, one of the greatest doxologies in all of Scripture, uh, benediction in all of Scripture, the writer of Hebrews uh, talks to Jesus and said, Jesus is the great shepherd of the sheep. And so we have all these wonderful pictures, pastoral pictures of how when we are in chaos, when we are deathly afraid, uh, we have this God who is our great shepherd. So we know we need that all the time, but maybe especially in a time of such chaos and upheaval and, and tumultuous times, we're mostly aware that, that these things are bearing down on us. But we, we have a little bit of a problem as humans. Uh, we are creatures of longing, and human beings have four real primary longings in us. Dr. Dan Allender has really articulated these longings beautifully. He says, we need a home where we never have to struggle in or leave. Deep within us, we desire, we long for a home where we don't struggle and we never have to leave. We know that that's coming eternally for us. We long for home and we love for a peace that never is disrupted. We want peace that's never, never interrupted by warfare or chaos. And we want justice. We want perfect justice that protects us from all harm and we want rest that we can't really ever fully achieve in life. You ever notice that? Like, I need rest and I get rest, but it's never quite enough rest. I'm still tired afterwards, still have things coming at me. So here's the problem being longing creatures. We long for home. We long for peace. We long for justice. We long for rest. And here's what we know. As long as we are earthbound, those four things, are ne we're never going to have those in the completeness that we desire. So we're locked into a thing called grief. We're going to grieve the fact that we're in limited human bodies on a fallen earth, and we have these longings that we can't stop. We long for these things and uh, we're not going to get them here on earth. And so apathy or resignation or indifference or depression or addiction of all kinds can set in so easily. And especially with 24-hour news feeds coming into us, it's really, really easy to be totally overwhelmed by that. So this morning, let's take a few minutes and, and talk about a thing we have inside, inside those longings, a thing called hope. That we are people of hope. And John writes about hope almost all through this book. But I'm going to tell you about an experiment with hope first. This is back in the 1950s. A, a man named Dr. Kurt Richter did an experiment. It's a little bit gross, but here's that experiment. When any first-year psychology grad student has, has heard this story, Dr. Richter, uh, Richter, who was at Princeton University, did an experiment where he took some rats and he put them in water, in a bucket of water, and he wanted to see how long they would swim before they gave up. Now, this is a, probably couldn't do this today, but he did it in the 50s. Uh, and he was about 15 minutes, the rats swam, and then they drowned, they gave up. So here's what he did. He took a second group of rats, and he put them in the bucket, and just before the time elapsed when the previous rats died, he pulled them out of the water. And I wouldn't want this job, but he dried them off, and I guess he probably did rat talk with them, comfort rat talk with them, and all that stuff. And so he, he kind of gave them a respite, a rest. He put them back in the water, and they swam what, what his research is, they swam 60 hours. They swam two and a half days. And so here's Dr. Here's Dr. Ritker's take on that. By the way, that's 240 times longer than the rest of them swam. Here's what he said. The rats quickly learned that the situation is not hopeless and that the interlude made a huge difference. By the way, they also recovered almost immediately after swimming for two and a half days. After elimination of hopelessness, he says, the rats did not die. When they learned they were not doomed, 
that the situation was not lost, that there might be a helping hand ready. In short, when they had reason to keep swimming, they did. And so we're not rats. We're humans. And when we're given a reason to keep swimming, we do. That's a thing called hope. We are human beings, and we have this thing inside of us called hope. Despite the grief around the longings that will never get fulfilled here on earth perfectly, we're people of hope. And so I want you to turn to John chapter 10. Jesus paints a, one of many pictures in the Gospels, and Paul and other writers in the epistles talk about we need a reason, reason to keep swimming. And these writers in the New Testament say, here, you have a lot of reasons to keep swimming uh, as we go. So John chapter 10 is where we're going to be today. But John chapter 10 is written in the context of John chapter 9. It's one of those places it's unfortunate that we have a chapter break here because the, really chapter 10 uh, coattails off that. So as you read 9 to 10, just pretend like there's not a big black number 10 there in your way and just keep reading all the way through. So the story in chapter 9 is that this man was blind from birth. Uh, someone came, Jesus came to him and healed him of his blindness. And people began to ask the question, who is the sinner that caused this guy to be blind? Was it his sin or was it his parents? Like, who's, who's the bad person that created this terrible uh, condition for this man? And uh, the, they asked the man the question. He goes, man, I don't know how. I don't know why. All I know is this. Jesus came down the path and he healed me of my blindness. That's all I know. And so they did not like that answer. Uh, they didn't like the fact that Jesus had done this. And so they were these uh, self, self-appointed shepherds of the flock, Pharisees and scribes and, and those who, who uh, uh, made themselves the overseers of the people. Um, Dr. J.I. Packer wrote this way. He said, these false shepherds trampled the sheep, called them accursed, and cast them out whenever they disagreed with them. They bullied them and harassed them. They spewed shame and belittlement on them. So if you look at toward the end of chapter 9, look at verse 34. They answered him. This is the Pharisees talking to the blind man. They answered him, formerly blind man. They answered him, you were born in utter sin and you would teach us. And they cast him out. They threw him out of the synagogue. He was a member of the synagogue and they said, you dare to talk to us that way. You dare to talk to us and give Jesus uh, credit for, for doing what he's done with you. Uh, you're, you're out. And look at what Jesus says, verse 35. Jesus heard they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He, the blind, formerly blind man, answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. The man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. So this is a picture of where these false shepherds have belittled and bullied and harassed and cursed this man, because he would not admit to something they were forcing him to admit, he said, no, Jesus did this. And they couldn't stand that. And so they did what every human being cannot stand. Two things we can't stand as humans. They rejected him and they humiliated him. And human beings will go to great extents to not be rejected or to be humiliated. Uh, think about it even in your own life. What have you done to, for, from middle school up or maybe before? What have you done or said, or done whatever you had to do to make sure that did not happen. Well, that happened in a very, very, very public way to this man. They public cast him out of the fold and, and rejected him and humiliated him. So um, Packer goes on and says, Jesus, the good shepherd, found him and brought him into the true fold. So what we're reading here in chapter 10 is really a commentary on what's just happened in chapter 9. So you notice 
Jesus starts chapter 10 by saying, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. It's a continuing thought from chapter 9. So let's look at a couple of things before we settle in on chapter 10. A couple of things to remember. Uh, John organizes his book around seven I am statements. Jesus says, I am, and then he fills in the blank seven of them. We have two of them in our passage today. The first one, uh, Jew, uh, Jewish listeners or, or readers would, would really, that would resound in their heads because way back in Exodus 3, the greatest event in their lives, uh, the Hebrew people, was the exodus from Egypt. And so Moses comes to the burning bush. He said, who do I tell them is sending me to give you deliverance? Remember God's answer? You tell them I am is sending you. And so this, in the ears of the Jewish listener, Jesus saying I am is a, is a very big deal. So uh, verse 7 and verse 9, um, he says, I am the door. And then verse 11 and verse 14, we'll look at these in detail later. He says, I am the good shepherd. And that is the overarching picture of chapter 10, chapters 9 and 10. Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd. Well, the I am say, I am he who takes care of you when you're rejected and humiliated and in chaos. And we'll look in just a few minutes about that. And then the second thing to remember is the, the I am statements. Then I came. Two weeks ago, Monty said in Luke 19 that Jesus said, I came to seek and save the lost. Here's a very, here's a partner, partner comment to that. Jesus says in, in ours that um, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So this is another I came statement to him. So let's start verse 10 kind of the linchpin of the chapter. He says, I came. He says, he talks about the, the uh, uh, people first, the thief, the Pharisees describe, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now, prosperity gospel teachers will take that passage and really make it something it isn't talking about. Jesus isn't talking about you're going to be rich and prosperous financially necessarily. Jesus is talking about a quality of spiritual and emotional life to have with him and by extension in the body of Christ together. Let me tell you what that word means. It's a, a super packed word. Uh, it means hyper life, or we can think of abundant life as life with life left over, like it's a surplus of true living. Here are, the, here are some of the words that describe it. Superabundant in quantity or superior in quality, excessive, beyond measure, superfluous, vehement. And this is my favorite. The adverb form means violently. So think about a fire hose shooting water into a bucket. It is violent. It's way more than the bucket can hold. And so Jesus is saying to them, I have come, unlike these false shepherds, I'm the good shepherd. I've come that they may have such a life. It will be so forceful in them. They will not be able. We will not be able. We sheep won't be able to hold all of the life that he's making available. So Jesus is making a, a, an announcement to the people that you see this guy who was cast out, rejected, and humiliated. I came for guys like that, men and women like that, who've been rejected and humiliated by the world, by our enemy, by all these different circumstances, and I have come in th that they may have a life that literally is unimaginable, that only comes full force uh, in eternity when we're with him, physically with him. And so Jesus says, I came that they may have such a life, they will, they will not be able to find enough bags or buckets to carry around the empty life I want to give them. I want to give them that depth uh, of life. The same word is used in Romans 5.20 where Paul says, uh, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. 
And so Paul's saying uh, grace was so forceful and so vehement and so violently uh, applied to life. It's so overwhelmingly abundant and exceedingly more um, that you can't imagine. There is not sin greater than the force of the abundance of grace available. So it's a very powerful word that Jesus is saying here that I came for them to have a life that is unimaginable uh, to them. So um, this man here, can you imagine, I, I really can't, can you imagine never seeing anything ever, ever, ever before? Never seen anything. And all of a sudden, you, I don't think Jesus, you know, healed him like, and made him like my eyes. I can't see anything without these on. But I think he probably got 20-20 vision when Jesus probably did a pretty thorough job of that. Can you imagine going from seeing nothing but blackness, darkness, to seeing the entire world in full color? That's such a picture of abundance that even this man experienced from literally seeing nothing ever to seeing everything in a bright color. So Jesus is talking about something very powerful here. When he says, I have come, unlike these false shepherds, I have come that they can have a life, light moving from utter and complete darkness to complete and total light with all the colors that are involved in that. That's a picture of what he's done for this man is a picture of the abundant life he came to bring. So that is is the, uh, uh, the linchpin of the chapter. So let's go back, go back to basics and look at verse one and we'll walk verse by verse through the, through the rest of the, of the chapter. So Read verse 1 again. Truly, truly, I say to you, coming right off chapter 9, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. So we don't have a lot of sheepfolds in Middle Tennessee that I'm aware of at least. But uh, sheepfolds are this place to where kind of a big uh, corral kind of thing where different flocks of sheep with different shepherds would come at night and would all be in together. So um, different sheep that belong to different shepherds. Uh, for the night. And so this a sheepfold, Jesus is saying, uh, the one who does not enter th- that place, that pen by the door is someone climbing over the wall to do no good, referring back to the false shepherds that wanted to reject and humiliate those who, who followed Christ, who dared to believe in him. So um, the abundant life that Jesus has promised is we're going to walk through here having established what a sheepfold is, like okay, all these different sheep in this pen with one great shepherd uh, in charge. So the needs that are met that Jesus meets in this abundant life happen to be some really base needs that we have. We'll go through those uh, together. So look at verses 2 and 3. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. So the first need this abundant life gives us is a thing called identity. So we have a huge need for identity as human beings. What is my identity? Years ago, I meant to look up when this movie came out. Y'all remember the movie August Rush? So the movie is probably 10, 15 years ago. So August Rush is this orphan child, literally an orphan. He was given up uh, as an orphan. And this uh, man, a character played by Robin Williams, is called the wizard. And the wizard collects these boys from the streets and exploits them for money and makes money off of them. And this uh, August Rush is a music prodigy. So there's a scene in, the, in a park where the wizard says to August Rush, he says, what do you want to be in the world? I mean, the whole wide world, what do you want to be? Close your eyes and think about it. And August Rush's answer was, found. I want to be found. 
and such a picture of identity. August Rush is saying, and by the way, August Rush got his name off the side of a truck. Ice cream truck came by and it said, beat the August Rush. And the wizard said, that's a great name for you, August Rush. There you go. Didn't even have his own name in the movie. And so, so the wizard is, is applying something to him that doesn't fit. And so such a picture of our human desire for identity. August Rush said, I want to be found. I want those who I share DNA with and a life with, I want to be found by them. And reminds me, Revelation 3.17 is letters of the seven churches of, of Asia. Um, the church of Pergamum, this promise is given to him. Jesus says, I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. Can you imagine that scene? Jesus says, it's Revelation 3.17, Jesus says, there's a day coming for these Pergamum Christians, and by extension to us, where I'm going to hand you a white stone. And on that white stone is going to be a name that I have for you uh, just between me and you. Can you imagine that, receiving that stone? and got a name on it that I would have never thought of. And it reminds me of, uh, remember the end of uh, Chronicle of um, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Just seeing where Aslan has got the four children there lined up and they're, They've gone through this battle and they, 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 terrible you know, things that have happened to them and they persevered and they believed uh, in Aslan. And uh, he walks to them and at the very end, he crowns their heads. They bow before him and he uh, calls them out Lucy. The, he says, Lucy the valiant and Edmund the just and Susan the gentle and Peter the magnificent. So Aslan has names for them they don't know they even have. Little bitty Lucy, the youngest one, she would not have told you she was valiant, but Aslan knew that she was. Edmund certainly would not have told you he was just, uh, but, but Aslan saw through that and, and named him his true name, and on, and on it goes. So there's this uh, amazing thing in our humanity. We want to know our identity. Ancestry.com exists because we want to know our identities. <laughs> like all these websites to know, where did I come from? What's my DNA? What's my heritage? What's my origin? We want to know, like, where... What, what's my identity here? And so this human movement toward home again, this longing for home. So uh, if you come to Regeneration, you've heard me say this a hundred times, so here, here's 101. Uh, there are two base needs we human beings have that we, we, we hammer away at. We will give up anything for these two base needs to be met. It's the need to belong, and the need to belong means I'm accepted for who I am. And that's where, for instance, a parent looks at a child and says, you know what, I, I love that you are. I love that God gave you life, and I'm so glad he put you in this family. I'm so glad we get to do this together. You, you belong with me. So this need to belong is like, I, I just love that you are. And then we have a need to matter or to be significant. And that's to be appreciated for, for what you bring. And that's, that's where a parent, for instance, says to a child, I not only love that you are, I love how you are. I love your introversion or your extroversion. I love your ability to do words, your ability to do math or science or whatever. I love, I love how quiet you are, how loud you are, how contemplative you are, how wild you are. Like I, I love how God has made you. And, and so part of identity is being recognized by the great shepherd that we're made in a certain way and that that is acceptable to him. It doesn't mean we do everything right for sure, but it means the great shepherd looks at his sheep. And says, I love you and I give you identity. I call you by name. I know your real name, the shepherd says. By the way, there's this beautiful thing. I, I read a lot about shepherds and sheep and uh, more than I've ever read in my life. There's this beautiful thing that happens. Like when the sheep would come in at night from being out in the day grazing, 
the shepherd would lower his staff on the sheep and kind of hold the sheep there and inspect the sheep to see if it was okay. They have you know, all this wool cover. Was it covering a wound? Did something happened? or parasites on? Is this sheep okay? Then when the sheep was checked out, he would uh, uh, pull the rod up and the sheep would go on in. And it, it, it's a gross job. You can Google it if you want, but after lunch uh, today. But th- it's a really gross job. And so Jesus describing himself as the great shepherd is like, oh, no, I lower my staff when you come in. And I look you over really, really good. And I don't care how nasty the job is. I'm, I'm looking at you. I'm paying attention to your identity, calling them by, by name. In verses 4 and 5, Jesus continues, When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, and they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. That's a need called safety. It says that he goes out before them and they follow him. And the need for safety, we humans have this need for safety. Here's what safety is. Safety simply means I rest in knowing that someone is looking out for my welfare. I rest in knowing people are looking out for me. People will keep me between the lines. I've got a group of men that do this great job. They keep me between the lines. Uh, one of them's right here. Uh, they keep me between the lines, and they help me to know what's true and what's not true. Help me see things I can't see, and they keep me safe from the predators uh, out there. So Jesus is saying, I walk out ahead of these sheep. They don't go anywhere I don't go first, and I'm, I'm uh, kind of blazing the trail for them. Someone is watching over me. So identity and safety, and then as is normal, Verse 6, this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying. So Jesus, like he does over and over, goes, all right, let's, let's run this through again. So I told you a couple of things. You didn't understand it. Let, let, let's do it again. Let's do it a little, a little more specificity. So verses 7 through 9. So we have identity. We have freedom. We, uh, we have safety. Verses 7 through 9. So Jesus said again to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Verses 7 through 9 is talking about a thing called freedom. Jesus says, I'm the door. Like you enter, you go out, and you come in uh, through me. And you find pasture. You find nurture. You find freedom in that. Like you pass through me, you're free. Here's, we have a need for freedom as well. Freedom is... Um, is to be able to be liberated. We, we're liberated from running from who God made us to be. I have, liber- I have freedom to be myself, made in His image. I don't have freedom to do what I want. I have freedom to be myself as created in Him, in, in His image. So we don't have to be emotional dumpster divers is what he's saying. Like When we're free people, we don't have to dive uh, into dumpsters surviving emotionally and surviving spiritually. Remember, Jesus says, I want you to have an abundant life, a surplus life. That's what I want you to have. And so we don't have to dive around. We, we can be who we're made to be because we are his. We don't have to become uh, emotional survivors. And notice that the sheep, two different times, it said in uh, the end of verse 5 and the end of verse 8, the sheep will not listen to those other voices. And how hard is that to do? It is so hard to not listen to those other inter- intervening voices, the voice of the past, Voices of humiliation, voices of danger, voices of threat, uh, voices of threat of rejection and humiliation. And Jesus says, my sheep, because I am the good shepherd, my sheep have the freedom to listen to me. 
And you probably read the stories, H.V. Morton, he's an older theologian, he, he was uh, in Israel and he said he had this experience where uh, some shepherds spent the night in a cave with their sheep. And when they came out, these shepherds made these noises. He said, I noticed these sheep peeling off one, two, and three at a time, running toward their shepherd. Like the sheep would hear one shepherd say something and nah, that's, not, that's not my guy. And they would hear their shepherd and go, that's my guy. And they would go toward him. And so this picture Jesus is painting is saying, you have freedom to listen to me. You have freedom to follow me. I go before you, you're going to be safe. And the freedom to, to follow after me. So we don't have to move into those places like addiction, uh, depression, and apathy. And what well, we often do, can do, and there's help for that. Um, but the help is ultimately found in following the, the good shepherd. So we have verse 10. Jesus, in, in between these two explanations, says, as we talked about a while ago, this is what I came for. came for abundance. So I want you to pay attention to uh, 11 through 15. Let's read 11 through 13 first. Jesus makes a statement uh, what he came for. Then verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, he who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Let's pay attention, first of all, Jesus' description uh, centers on his own personal sacrifice. Notice Jesus says, now here's what false shepherds do. They kill the sheep to save themselves. Jesus says, I'm going to suffer death for the sake of the sheep. It's reversed. It's 180. Jesus says, when you are my sheep, you can know this. I'm not going to run away when danger hits. As a matter of fact, the greatest danger ever known in the history of humanity called death, I'm going to face that down and defeat it uh, on your behalf. The word there for life, by the way, where he says the shepherd lays down his life, that's the word psyche, uh, psychology, where we, uh, psychologists, we study the, the whole self. Jesus saying, I'm laying all of it down. I'm taking on sin spiritually. I'm living a human life emotionally and physically. So I'm laying all of that out as a sacrifice for my, for my sheep. So 11 through 13, his sacrifice in Luke, verses 14 and 15. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And that's his perfect knowledge. It's like, look, I know the Father, the Father knows me and I know you. I know your real name. I know you by name. I take care of you. I've given you freedom and identity. I give you safety. I'm going out before you. Like, I know, I know you. I have this knowledge of you. And it goes even further, which it would be a shock. It'd be a shock to the hearers. Listen to what he says next. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, and there will be one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So a professor of mine in graduate school used to say, do not ever forget that we are Western Gentiles reading an Eastern Jewish book. And so we, if we listen to this Eastern Jewish book, Jesus is saying, hey, I got a, I got a real surprise for y'all. Uh, Jesus' uh, knowledge of humanity and Jesus being able to see what we can't see in his perfect knowledge, uh, he's got a plan. There are going to be other sheep coming in here. They're, they're Gentile sheep. And for a Jewish hearer, that is just unthinkable. 
And so this good shepherd is saying, the news is for all sheep, and there's going to be all kinds of sheep in this sheepfold. You, you can't imagine would ever be invited in here. And so Jesus says, my vision, based on my knowledge of the Father, his knowledge of me, and my knowledge of you, uh, there's a greater thing coming. So that, that meets our need for community. There's going to be one sheepfold. There's going to be one flock. There's going to be one good shepherd. Uh, and I'm going to be answering the need of all these sheep before they even know they have a need. So Jesus is saying, I'm also going to provide a need for you called community. That's what we're doing here. Just think about how, how hard it still is in the midst of a pandemic when we couldn't even be in the same room hardly. And now we, now we can with these things in place which are, which are wise and for our benefit. But think about what it was like for you not to be able to gather. Remember the pictures that we are so made for community. Some of the most heart-wrenching uh, videos on our news were these people standing outside the, the window of a nursing home or a hospital room. And you may have done that yourself in this pandemic. It's like we watch those videos and go, oh, that is, that's awful. Uh, because we are made to be together. We're made to be in community. And Jesus is saying to them, I've met that need too. As your great shepherd, I know you have a need for community. And we're going to have... Uh, we're going to have Jew Jewish sheep, we're going to have Gentile sheep, and they're all in the same fold under one shepherd, and that's me, Jesus says. So he is completely turning this picture in chapter 9 of, of degradation and humiliation and rejection. He's turning that around and saying, you're my sheep, you belong to me, and I'm going to give you an identity, I'm going to make sure you're safe, I'm going to give you, grant you freedom, and I'm going to provide for you community. In the midst of all of this chaos, pandemic-stricken, upheaval. We're reeling in it uh, as human beings. Uh, we find these needs met with the, in the Good Shepherd. So a guy named Connor Gwynn wrote this essay. It's a couple of paragraphs. Listen to what he says about uh, life in these times. Just think, think about this scenario. When those first disciples, the 12, were isolated or imprisoned with an unknown and dangerous future ahead... I like to imagine that they remembered the boring moments of their time with Jesus. Not the huge crowds or headline miracles, but the moments that wouldn't make it into the book. The rowdy dinner conversations or the joyful silent walks on dusty roads. They may have remembered that mundane moment when Jesus called them by name in the midst of their everyday work suddenly, quietly. Loading, listen to this phrase, loading the here and now with the abundance of God. What if we loaded the here and now with the abundance of God? And Connor Gwynn is saying that what, what if these miracles we have written in the book, John said a, a books wouldn't hold it. What if these guys thought back to the meals and the walks and when walking along and, and Matthew's about to be martyred and he remembers a time Jesus called his name and told him a story about him. Think about those things as we go into this um, really tumultuous world, Gwen says, what if we live lives where we loaded the here and now with the abundance of God? What if we loaded the world and saw ourselves as sheep and the great shepherd uh, loaded up how we see everything, how we experience the world? So called abundant life is the one that he's issued and he says to us daily, minute by minute, I love you. I call you my own. I give you freedom, I attend to you, I lower my rod over you, and I tend to you and pay attention to you every night, and I look through to see what's happening. And there's such powerful imagery for, um, for the first century reader, those who would be very familiar with that culture, and for us as well to recognize we are such needy little sheep. And in times of chaos where he stands ready to, 
provide those needs. So I want you to, if you would, just um, think about this statement as we move into a um, time of so what this morning. We've talked about four great needs a great shepherd meets for identity, for safety, for freedom, and for community. I will read you a phrase from Brendan Manning. So as we move into a time of, of so what, be thinking through these four needs. Which one stands out to you? What is the imagery of the good shepherd that, that you know you need most of all as you go into this next week? So Brendan Manning says this as we move into so what. He says, define yourself radically as one beloved by God. How glorious is the splendor of a human heart that trusts it is deeply loved. So we're going to so what, be contemplating on what needs you have for him today. Lord, we're grateful that you're present, grateful for the comforting picture that you grant to us of being our good shepherd. And I thank you that you are the great shepherd of the sheep, that you're never surprised. Nothing comes our way that has not gone through you first, and uh, that you are on watch. And because of your great sacrifice, there's never a second in time where you're not paying attention. So I thank you for the comfort of that. I thank you for an identity, for community, for freedom, for safety for your great watching over us from time eternity to time in the future. Pray in Jesus' name, amen.